first service, he said, uh, I know he's been in ministry over 40 years because he was the youth minister at the church when I was born. Uh, but his folks were good friends of mine. They were youth coaches, and and uh, so it's it's good for me to be here. As he said, I've been uh, observing y'all from afar because I had a job on Sundays. I couldn't get over here um, for the last 18 years, so it's good to be with you today. I have uh, not traveled far in life. I have lived and worked in a four-mile radius the last 42 years. And uh, I bring you greetings this morning from Point University, where I am now fully employed, uh, golf some, but I am full-time at the university. And I am uh, just grateful for what you are doing here and, and your new plant that's being uh, dreamed about and prayed over, and Jamie and Stacy are working there, and, and that's a blessing to me too. I also bring you greetings from Global Scope. Because in, at the end of the first service, uh, you, are, uh, you and your elders commissioned Cody Spencer for Salamanca, Spain. And uh, after this service, uh, Austin is going to be commissioned for Tübingen, Germany. And I'm well versed with these people because I've been on the Global Scope uh, Steering Committee since its inception. And so I, so, I want to thank you all for your participation. I know you support folks who are out there on the field, and I am really grateful for that, and thank you for that. And of course, we got folks like Heather back there, and Jeremy somewhere, and Lucas and Danielle, who've been part of this great ministry, and now have come back to bless y'all. So it's a neat partnership we have, and I appreciate that. So we've had our text read today, and before we jump into that, I want you to pray with me, please. Lord, thank you so much for the partnership you've given us in ministry. What a blessing. And what a blessing it is to uh, be here to worship you today on this day that we call Palm Sunday that began that great eventful week in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And Lord, I pray for these people here at Christian Church Buckhead. Bless this church, Lord. May it be glorious in your sight and may their ministry just abound for your kingdom work. Bless these families and individuals here, and, and we just praise your name. And now, Lord, as we look at this scripture, we pray that you would guard our thoughts and my words, that we would hear just what you want us to hear, each one of us, all of us. And Lord, please cleanse me that I might be worthy to handle this truth today. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, I'm a sportsman, and for my money, Starting tomorrow, this is the greatest week in sports. Now, some of y'all don't agree. Some of y'all might think that Labor Day time when college football kicks off, and I'll give, it, give you that. That's the second best. But this week, tomorrow night's what? It's the final of the final four of March Madness. National champion be declared. And then as the week progresses, opening day. Spring, hope springs eternal in Atlanta. You know, I've been a Braves fan since 1965, and that's the year before they came here. So I've been living and dying with the Braves for that long, long time. So baseball starts, nothing like it. And then some of y'all may even be aware that something's happening about 150 miles down the road, east. Uh, the whole world uh, turns their attention 
to Georgia this week because of the Masters Golf Tournament. It is the most unique golf tournament ever played. And it's highly, it's probably regarded more highly around the world than it is in Georgia. You know, it's kind of like that uh, little brother you got or something. So a great week of sports. And as I said, I was, I'm a Braves fan, but I don't do the wave and I do not do the chop. Now, see, y'all know what I'm talking about because some of y'all are wavers and choppers. Uh, I am not. I'm, I clap, you know, and I'll stand up. But one time, National League Championship Series, I'm in the crowd watching the Braves. It's a tense moment of the game. We're all on our feet, and the crowd is chopping, and I'm looking at my right arm, and it's doing that. <laughs> it was like an out-of-the-body experience. I didn't know how it was happening. Couldn't stop it. Can you hear them? Can you hear the crowd? See, it's so easy to get caught up in the crowd, isn't it? And 2,000 years ago, the crowd was chanting, Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, of course, it was probably like this. Jesus, waving those palms. Palm Sunday. The king is coming. The long-awaited king has arrived. And we look at this text before us. We've got a text before us that's been read from Mark 11. But what I want you to understand this morning is that Mark had a text before him when he wrote that. He had before him Zechariah 9.9. Listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt. The foal of a donkey. You know, it's also likely that when Zechariah wrote that, he had a text in front of him. Genesis, 49th chapter, verses 10 and 11. Listen. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine. His colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Jesus is making his climb into Jerusalem, to the temple. He's the king that's coming. I wonder what kind of king they thought he would be. It's pretty clear that most of them in the crowd thought Jesus would be the king, that he was going to be the one like David. He's the son of David. Hosanna in the highest to the son of David, Jesus. He's going to be the king that's going to emancipate them from the shackles of Rome. He's going to be the king that is going to do what they've been wanting and awaiting to have done. He's going to be the kind of king that they want him to be. Of course, we can look at this 2,000 years later and say, well, well, they were wrong. 
They didn't get it. So easy for us to say, is it not? But how many times do we make Jesus the king that we want him to be? Instead of allowing him to be the king of our life as he wants to be. So the king, the long-awaited king is arriving. And the, the crowd's in a frenzy. But this is a biblically literate crowd. They knew Zechariah, and likely many of them knew the Genesis passage, and that's what worked them up so much, because in each of those passages, there's a donkey. A donkey is mentioned. So they know this is the fulfillment of that moment. This is the gentle king coming on a donkey. A gentle form or mode of transportation if you will. Of course, if I'd been writing the story, maybe you too, I would at least have had him on a horse, wouldn't you? On a beautiful stallion, on a mighty war horse. But he rides a lowly beast of burden. He's riding a donkey. <laughs> of all creatures, a donkey. Clarence McCartney writes, How strange a contrast to the triumphal entry of ancient warriors and conquerors who came into the city which they'd taken. There was no wall broken down for entry. This time, no garland hero standing in the war chariot, driving down the lane of cheering subjects past smoking altars, and followed by captive kings and princes in chains. Instead of that, just a meek and lowly man riding upon the foal of a donkey. But there's a question that I want us to consider this morning. Not so much why a donkey, but where did the donkey come from? From where, um, where did he get it? Our, our text gives us a clue, does it not? But the guy who gave it, he's there. He's that guy standing on the road with the crowd with this big old Cheshire cat grin on his face. And he elbows the person on either side and says, that's my donkey. <laughs> that's my donkey. Jesus told his two disciples, go, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Interesting. Untied, bring it to me. Bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. This donkey, this beast of burden, is one that no one has ever ridden. In our vernacular, it would be brand new, brand spanking new. Now, if you're like I, then you probably look at this crowd and they're all standing around in terry cloth bathrobes with flip flops on, right? And they got these branches and, you know, we kind of dress them up. But we need to think more like Braveheart. That's probably what they look like. 
So it's hard for us 2,000 years later when we can ima- cannot imagine a time without our cell phones, the internet, and bottled water. Much less 2,000 years ago, these folks living in this kind of culture. So, okay, let's bring this story up to our understanding. What would it be like today? I was thinking about that. What would be the equivalent of a donkey, of a beast of burden? Anybody here got a donkey? No, nobody has one. Probably some of us in here have never seen a donkey. So what would it be like? Well, the only thing I could come up with in terms of a beast of burden was a, uh, let's consider this a red four-by-four truck with the sticker still on the window. Okay, so here are these two disciples. Jesus says, I want you to go into the village ahead of you, and I want you to, you're going to see this white frame house, and out front will be parked a red 4 by 4 pickup truck, brand new. I want you to get it, bring it. I need it to drive into Jerusalem. Can you imagine these guys walking down the road thinking, See, no preparations were made. This is the biggest surprise to them. And they're probably thinking, what, what are we doing? And why us? Why do we have to do it? And what are we going to do if this guy comes out? What are you going to do if he calls the cops? He might even have a gun. Tell you what, I'm out of here if he has a gun. We'll find another truck for Jesus. So they get there, and they use a coat hanger and break into the car and... <laughs> They're getting ready to hotwire it when they hear this booming voice from the front of that white frame house. Hey, what are you all doing out there? What are you doing with my truck? And they say, the Lord needs it. (laughs) And the big old guy, big burly guy, scratches his head. Says, all right, let me go get the keys, though. Don't tear it up. And he gives them the keys, and they take it. What do you make of that? Who was this guy? And furthermore, why would he give that precious, never-ridden donkey that he probably had, had paid a lot for or had a lot of effort in raising it? Why did he just give it up? Who was he? Maybe he was a person that had witnessed Jesus' mighty power and his miracles, and just when he heard the word, the Lord needs it, he said, okay. Or perhaps when Jesus had been in Bethany not too many days before that, maybe he was the guy that Luke describes who had a demon in him that made him mute. Perhaps he was the guy that Jesus cast the demon out. And can you imagine that? You can't speak. You haven't been able to speak. It has hindered every part of your life. And now you can speak. And so this guy, probably the first thing he does is praises God from the top of his lungs to the bottom of his heart. And then he turns to Jesus and says, you have just changed my life. He said, my life is new. Now I can can speak with my wife. Now I can speak to my kids. Now I can go back to my real job and communicate. He could joke and laugh with his friends. No more hand signs or carrying around that cumbersome pad. He could holler across the fairway. He could return to teaching at church. 
and wording public prayers. He could shout, honey, I'm home, and read bedtime stories to his kids. Perhaps the guy, that was the guy who gave Jesus his donkey. But it could have been any number of people who'd been touched by Jesus' love and grace and mercy. Jesus had changed this man's life. He just made his life complete, whole, and this man was grateful to Jesus for what he'd done. He would do anything for Jesus. He had to express his gratitude to Jesus. He wanted to give him something, and Jesus said, no, no, no. Well, well, at least stay for dinner. Now I've got to be moving on. Well, can't I give you something, Jesus? He said, no, not now. But there'll be a day. There'll be a day when you can give me something, and when it comes, you'll know it. And the day had arrived. The day came. The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Now, some of you, I know, you're bright. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Donovan. You are really way out on the thin ice of sanctified speculation. (laughs) And you're right. I'll give you that. But if not, the mute. Maybe he was a man born, he was a man from whom Jesus had cast out other demons. Or maybe, maybe this was a man that Jesus healed him from the addiction of alcohol, drugs. Perhaps he was a man that Jesus had healed his marriage and family. This was a person that had been influenced by Jesus. Maybe this was a man who'd been saved from his middle-class lifestyle of egocentricity and consumerism. And Jesus had just blessed him so much that he had to give. Who is this guy? Max Lucado says in his book, The Angels Were Silent, sometimes I get the impression that God wants me to give to him, give something to him, and sometimes I don't give it because I don't know for sure and then I feel bad because I've missed my chance. Other times, I know he wants something, but I don't give it because I'm too selfish. And other times, too few times, I hear him and obey him and feel honored that a gift of mine would be used to carry Jesus into another place. Maybe you have those kind of questions, too. But I want you to hear this this morning. All of us have a donkey. From the youngest to the eldest, we all have a donkey. You and I each have something in our life which, if given back to God, like the donkey, 
could move Jesus further down the road. Maybe you're talented like these guys up here this morning. Or maybe you can make coffee or give a hug or greet people or do the sound or the slides. Or maybe you can speak Spanish or write a check. Whatever, whichever, whatever is yours, this is your donkey. And it really does belong to him. You know that, don't you? The original wording of the instructions Jesus gave his disciples kind of supports that thought that your donkey really is his. Because Jesus said, if anyone asks you why you're taking the donkey, you are to say, and it could have been translated this way, literally, its Lord is in need. It really is all his, isn't it? Everything you and I have, it's his. Everything that you and I are, it's his by the grace of God. Now, I want to suggest something to you this morning that you may not have considered. Even our disappointments, our brokenness, our difficult times of discouragement, all of our messes, if you will, they're his too. God doesn't want to waste anything. He wants it all. If you read Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it's really apparent that God rather delights in taking messed up people and using them for His glory and their benefit. I can't tell you in the 40-plus years of ministry how many times I've seen people who've been broken who feel unworthy to serve God, have turned it over to him and step back and think, wow. For for the last 12 years, one of my most significant ministries and probably one of the most significant ministries I will ever do has been with recovering alcoholics and addicts. Every Tuesday night, meet with those guys who are residents of our recovery program. And you know what's neat about that? Two, three years ago, I was able to say this in front of those guys. I thank God that I had a father who was an abusive alcoholic. I couldn't believe those words came out of my mouth. But I don't know that I'd have been able to be able to have that ministry and have compassion with those guys if that had not been the case. That's part of who I am. Let me tell you the most poignant prayer I've ever heard. Several years ago when I was at Atlanta Christian College for the first time, went down to Savannah Christian Church to preach for their faith promise service. They had three or four services. And, and before the first service, we gathered in a little side room, not unlike we did today. And 
the preacher and I and a few other folks were there and we got down on our knees and we began to pray about the service. And we prayed around the circle and came to the guy next to me. And we're all bowing down with our eyes closed and he uttered this prayer. Lord, I thank you for my cancer. For without it, George would have never come to Christ. I have to confess, I opened my eyes and looked at that guy. I'd never heard anything like that. Thank you, Lord, for my cancer. See, he had offered up his donkey to Jesus. And Jesus rode that donkey called cancer right into George's life. We all have a donkey, you know. Oh, by the way, who was that person with the big old grin in the crowd? I think I know. It's you. Thank you, God, for making us who we are. But more than that, for your grace, which takes us the messes that we are and uses us for your glory, for your honor, for your kingdom, and yes, for our benefit. Amen.